Acts chapter 2, verse 41, beginning there, it tells us, man, what a great day. Those who had received Peter's word were baptized. And that day were added about 3,000 souls. Well, they were baptized and they were added. So is it baptism? No, it's not baptism. Because by gracious sake, through faith, and this is not of yourselves, so that no one can boast. But have I quoted that a couple times tonight? Make sure we understand that. Get that down. Everyone kept feeling a sense, I love this, a sense of awe. The many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Is that what saved them? Their commonality? They're sharing everything together? No, read on. And they began selling their property and their possessions and were sharing them with all. As anyone might have need. Oh, it's their generosity. That's what got them on the inside. No, read on. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Oh, okay, so breaking bread, taking communion every week. That's what, no, read on. Taking their meals together with gladness, sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with the people. Was it worship? Is that how they got on the inside? Read on. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. How do I get into the outer courtyard? How do I become an insider? How do I enter a church? How do I get church membership? And the answer is simple. The Lord does it. That's it. There is no membership other than that which the Lord determines. Now, for whatever reason, many different churches, denominations require membership or have membership. The church I grew up in, a wonderful church, but we had a directory. Marianne is working on our directory right now, by the way. And we had a directory and had all the names of all the people who came to our church. But at a certain age, I don't remember how old I was, but I started to notice there were little stars by certain names. Some names had stars, other names had no stars. And so I asked my dad, who was an elder, Dad, some people have stars. Did they answer the right questions in Sunday school? What are the little stars for? No, son, those are the members of the church. What? There were people in the same family, husband and wife. The wife had a little star, the husband had no stars. Oh, he wasn't a member. She was but they both came every Sunday. They both took communion. I saw them both worshiping. There were kids in my youth group who had no star. Dad, what do I do to get a star? You go forward and you place membership. Based on what? The book of Hezekiah? I mean, where do you find that? That's right after the book of opinions. You can look that up on your free time. A little star that says, I belong. I am a member. You want to know how you enter the outer courtyard? How you belong? How you become a member? By the grace of God. And that's it. There's no other way. And we can have our memberships. And you know, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. But it helps people feel included. But it's a bad idea when it makes people feel discluded. Our membership happens the moment we accept Jesus. We are members of the body of Christ. Whether it's here in the barn or at some other church in Oak Harbor or Anacortes or anywhere else in the world, the moment you claim Jesus, you are members of the body. You are part of the church. You have entered in the courtyard. And nothing anybody can do or say changes that. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, you're in the church. Well, back to Exodus 27. We're going to finish this real quickly here. Verse 16. 
Right on. It's still light outside. Verse 16. He says, the gate of the court, for the gate of the court. Now we're on the very outside, the outer gate. So watch this. For the gate of the court, here we're getting another door. There shall be a screen of 20 cubits. This is 30 feet wide. Okay, it's 30 feet long. And this screen is of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. I think God is trying to help us see something here. That Jesus is in fact the door. You have to go through the outer screen. And then you have to go through the screen on the front of the tabernacle. And then the veil. They are all the same. They all look the same. They all picture Christ with those four colors. Blue, purple, scarlet, and linen. He says the work of a weaver with their four pillars and their four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall be furnished with silver bands redemption. With their hooks of silver redemption and their sockets of bronze redemption going into judgment. Us being redeemed out from judgment. The door. This doorway. And Jesus, John 10.9 said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. And as I said last week, I think once we go in, we're not going to want to go out. We're just going to want to hang out with the Lord. Jesus is the door. This screen has four colors. Silver silver bands and hooks and bronze sockets. But again, what's interesting to me, and it comes up several times in the construction of the tabernacle, and that is another number. It is the number four. Four pillars. Four sockets. Four colors on each of the doors. We noted the four colors. And I mentioned there was something else last week having to do with the number four. And I said, we don't have time for it. We're going to move on. And we don't have time to look at it again tonight. But we're going to. Because Spencer will get mad at me like he did last week. Because I didn't tell him what the four was significant about. But it's still light out. And it is still light out. Thank you, Jim, my elder. Okay, listen closely. What does the number four remind us of in the New Testament? We did ask this question last week. Do you recall? What does the number four remind us of? The Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four Gospels. Now think this through. This is awesome. What design was woven into that innermost covering of the tabernacle? What was the one caricature design? Cherubim. Cherubim. Four colors. Cherubim. And there's a connection. Watch this. Revelation chapter 4. You can either flip there really fast or just listen as I read it to you. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 6. Describing that heavenly throne room, that scene in heaven, John is lifted up in this vision. Revelation 4, verse 6, it tells us, Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting and clothed in white garments and golden hands with head, crowns on their heads. And out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire before the, before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, listen, four, four, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Watch this. The first creature was like a lion. The second creature like a calf. The third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. Remember this. Lion, calf, man, eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. What are these four creatures? They are cherubim. How do you know that? Ezekiel chapter 1. Which I'm going to flip over there real quickly. Ezekiel chapter 1. 
Ezekiel is describing, again, a heavenly scene, the same heavenly scene that John describes in Ezekiel 1, beginning in verse 4. This would be page uh, 839. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4. He said, As I looked, and behold, a storm wind was coming from the north, and a great cloud and fire flashing forth continually, and a bright light around it, and in its midst something like glowing metal in the midst of a fire. And within it, there were figures resembling four living beings. And this was their appearance. Each had a human form. Now, I know what you're saying. You're thinking, oh, from Revelation, we know what the form is going to be. A lion. Face of a lion. There's face of a cat. Face of a man. Face of an eagle. That's what each one of these four are going to look like. Oh, it's much more bizarre than that. Watch this. They each had four faces. Four faces per cherubim. And four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet were like a calf's hoof, and they gleamed like burnished bronze. And I wonder, am I reading the Chronicles of Narnia here? Because that's what it sounds like, something C.S. Lewis would make up. Well, C.S. Lewis came way after Ezekiel did. Under their wings, on their four sides, were human hands. As for the faces and the wings of the four of them, their wings... You know, can you imagine one of these on a Christmas tree? (laughs) The little Victorian angels, come on! Little gowns or the little cherubs, the little babies flying around with wings. Give give me a break! This this is angels. I would love to see one of these on top of a Christmas tree. I think that would be awesome. If you ever find one, buy it. I'll pay you back. Their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Each went straight forward. And as for the form of their faces, okay, here we go. Four faces on each one of them. All around, okay. Each had the face of a man. All four had the face of a lion. And the face of a bull or calf. And all four had the face of an eagle. Now, John describes those four faces. Apparently, John only got one quick, quick glimpse of one side of the cherubim. He didn't move around to the side and go, Whoa, they have all four. And go to the back. Oh, there they are again. Oh, these are strange-looking creatures with four faces. The face of a lion, the face of a calf, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle. Why is this the cherubim? Why are they drawn up this way? Why are they created this way? How does this connect with anything we're talking about tonight in the number four easily? Listen to this. Matthew's Gospel describes Jesus as the king face of a lion. Mark's gospel, Jesus the servant face of a calf. Luke's gospel, Jesus the human face of a man. And fourth, John's gospel, Jesus the fullness of God, deity the face of an angel. No, the face of an eagle. By the way, eagles soar higher than any other living creature. And eagles are the only animal that can look directly in the sun and it doesn't hurt their eyes even as Jesus the Son can look directly at the Father and it doesn't hurt his eyes. So an eagle looks at the Son. A gospel reason. Four gospels. Each describing some major characteristic of Jesus as we pass through his life in those stories. And each one of those connected to these four faces. The cherubim have four faces, all four attributes of Jesus. But there's more. There's a tabernacle reason. There's a gospel reason and there's a tabernacle reason as to why these cherubim have four faces. Numbers chapters 1 and 2. In those chapters, and I'll just tell this to you quickly, and we truly are almost done tonight, God declared a specified order for His people to camp around the tabernacle. When you look at that picture, my friends, it is wrong. It's beautiful, but it's wrong. 
Because as you look closely, you see tents kind of sprinkled about all the way around in a big circle around the tabernacle, and that is not how God ordained that the people pitched their tents. They were pitched in squares. Each section, one side of the tabernacle, the other side of the tabernacle, and on around. Listen to this. They were instructed to camp in blocks to the north, south, east, and west. Directly next to the tabernacle on all four sides were the four were the tribes of Levi divided up. That one tribe was right next to the tabernacle all the way around. Which is interesting because those who serve the Lord tend to camp close to the Lord as the Levites did. But going on, three tribes camped on each one of the four sides. Each one of these three tribes were called a camp. Three tribes were in one camp. So there was on the east side the camp of Judah, which contained Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. If you're trying to take notes at this point, just give it up and listen. On the east side of the camp of Judah, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, there was 186,400 men, and the symbol of Judah is a lion. That's the largest camp. And they were on the east side, which would have been the opening side coming down this way. Okay, the east side of the tabernacle. Why is Judah in the east, by the way? Because that's where Jesus is coming from. And Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Jesus came through the lineage of Judah. Judah and Jesus will come again from the east, through the eastern gate, as we talked about last week in our Bible study. To the south of the tabernacle was the camp of Reuben. The camp of Reuben, which had three tribes, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. 151,450 men, and the symbol of Reuben is a man. So we've got the lion. We've got the man. On the west side of the tabernacle was the camp excuse me, of Ephraim. Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. Three tribes, one camp, called the camp of Ephraim. 108,100 men. This would be up on the west, so at the top end of the tabernacle. And the symbol of Ephraim is a calf. Eagle? No, sorry. Not the eagle yet. The lion, the man, the calf. And then fourth, the eagle. North is the camp of Dan, containing Dan, Naphtali, and Asher. 157,600 men. The symbol of Dan is an eagle. Now, if you were to make a chart, which I've actually done in my notes, you have four colors that we've been talking about in the tabernacle. Purple meaning royalty. Scarlet meaning sacrifice. White meaning righteousness. Blue meaning the heavenly things or heaven itself. And we have four camps. Judah. Judah, the the people of royalty through which the line of the kings would come. Scarlet, Ephraim, the ox or calf which was sacrificed. White, Reuben, the man, needing that righteousness of God. And blue, the camp of Dan, the face of an eagle, and the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all connect there. It's amazing. Now again, we're not talking clusters or circles or clumps of tents all around. We're talking that they were going out in square, and there were four definite camps of people, numbering a total of 603,550 men, not including women and children. But when you map this out, and some of you know where I'm going with this, or you've heard this before, it's amazing. If you were to look down from an eternal perspective to the east, it's the largest number going out directly east from the tabernacle. To the west on top is the smallest number of people going out to the west and on the north and south sides the number is almost equal and what you would have looking at the people of Israel is a cross the shape of a cross from the perspective of God 
What an amazing coincidence. Come on. He has mapped the whole thing out. And you might say, well, Rick, every time I turn around, it's the cross, it's the cross, it's the cross. That's right. That is right. Remember I said as we began that people keep wanting to look for something else, something spectacular, something magnificent. I want to get closer to God. I want something deeper, some greater expression. The greatest expression is the cross. There is nothing greater. There is nothing deeper. The death of Jesus on the cross that saves us, it is throughout Scripture, even in the Old Testament, that place of atonement where we can enter in the gate of the courtyard, where we can go through the door of the tabernacle, where we can go through the veil, his flesh of the tabernacle. All of this pictures Jesus' atonement. And by the way, if you think about it, the colors... Oh, I'm closing my Bible and I'm indicating we're done and we're not. The colors... <laughs> you guys are going to kill me. The colors, blue, purple, scarlet, and white, are also the colors of the cross. Jesus was beaten, not black and blue, there's really not black, it would have been purple and blue, his bruises. His blood flowed scarlet on the beams of the cross and even his bones would have shown white through his back from the gashes of the flogging. All four of these colors were on Jesus physically at the cross. Incredible. Which is why the Hebrew writer told us very clearly in Hebrews 10.20, the veil is his flesh. Well, we'll end with this. Verse 18, the length of the court, make it 100 cubits, that's 150 feet, and the width 50 throughout, and the height 5 cubits of twisted linen, and their sockets of bronze. And all the utensils of the tabernacle used in all its service, and all its pegs, and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. Then you shall charge the sons of Israel that they bring you, that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burn continually in the tent of meeting outside the veil which is before the testimony Aaron and his sons shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord it shall be a perpetual statute throughout their generations for the sons of Israel they were to work and keep it going and I love how it says this in the Bible notice this God's way of reckoning a day is always from evening to morning it's always from darkness to light I like that so much better. You know how we figure it. We start out bright and we end up dark. We have the light of dawn, the wonder of a new day, until we're just beaten down with the end of the day, sitting there watching TV, sipping a soda, and wishing we could just go to bed, but we're too tired to get off the couch. But not the Lord. You start out that way, beaten, bedraggled, tired, worn. And He rejuvenates you and brings you alive with the new day, the coming dawn. And aren't we looking forward to that day? The coming morning that is promised to us in Scripture. Well, Aaron and his sons were to keep the fires burning from evening to morning. But notice this one last thing in verse 20. Who brought the oil? The people of Israel. The people brought the oil. And the oil in Scripture always is a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. Because the people were to come and bring the oil, to come in the Spirit, to be ready to have their lamps lit in their souls. That's how you come on Wednesday night. You come with the Spirit. I don't bring the Spirit to you. The Spirit comes with you. You, you ignite with these things. You light up because of these things, not because Rick's prepared a study for us tonight. But because the Spirit has come with you. 
The oil is light. It glows. It becomes a flame in you. This is what the Father does as He draws us in. Fathers, we close our Bibles and close our thoughts in the tabernacle tonight. Would you just keep fresh in our minds the flesh? The flesh of Jesus, represented by the veil, torn for us like the veil on that dark cross. But remind us again, Lord, that it was morning when he resurrected. And the evening, Lord, it, it may seem dark for us in our lives. And we may be tired. And we may feel worn. But the way you reckon a day promises us that morning is coming. And we long for and look forward to this morning, know that we have access to it through the flesh of Jesus. So we praise you and we thank you for your awe-inspiring and astounding word. And we thank you for lighting our lamps tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.